this is Blackstone Joe, and you're listening to Slick Talk. If I say I'm an oil man, you will agree. Today is Monday, January 30th. You know, back when I first started at the Stone in 2017, I remember hearing that this time of year was our slow season. And it's funny how over the years, the idea of a slow season, at least in my mind from my standpoint as a writer, has basically gone away. I don't think we really have a slow season, or at least it doesn't feel that way. I would have to go back to the early stages of the pandemic for a real slow season uh, to come to mind. And, you know, even then, what's interesting about the pandemic from our side is while the samples slowed down in terms of what was being sent our way, uh, the kit orders never stopped. Um, I remember hearing that we were still sending out kits. Um, It was just that customers were naturally taking longer to send them back. You know, given the fact that people weren't driving as much or they weren't able to go out and fly. So the samples slowed down there for a while, but the kit orders never quit. And that was one reassuring thing I remember hearing, you know, during those unpredictable months was that even though it was going to take folks longer to rack up the use on a particular oil, they were still interested in sending that oil our way. And this ties back to a customer question I answered um, in a report yesterday, and I want to include it in this show because I think it's relevant to many of you. And that was a question relating to how long a sample couldn't sit uh, in a container before sending it our way. And I have good news that if you are waiting on a kit or if you have one of our kits and you aren't ready to send the sample yet for whatever reason, You can hang on to that oil in the kit pretty much indefinitely. Uh, The oil can sit in the kit and won't test differently once it arrives. You know, the metals won't be skewed. Um, Some people are worried about mixing the oil up before they send it. You can rest assured that before we set that sample up for testing at each of our particular stations in the lab, it is shaken up very well. And also just you don't need to worry about an oil testing differently uh, just because it's sat. Metals are still going to be metals. We'll still find additives. We'll still find contaminants, the whole nine. So don't worry about how long it needs to sit. It can sit indefinitely. However, I, of course, wouldn't encourage you to keep samples around for years and years because then you're going years and years without knowing what's going on in the engine. But should you have a period of time where sending a sample isn't doable, Hang on to it. It's still valid for testing. Speaking of common concerns, I think it's high time that we revisit an early topic on this show because the interest isn't going away anytime soon. That topic would be BMWs and bearings. If you've been with us from the start, we first covered this topic on episode two. And here we are, episode 83. 
And the questions, the concerns relating to this topic are still rolling in, you know, whether it be in the form of podcast listeners who are interested or, of course, oil analysis customers who want to know how the bearings in their BMW are getting along. It's never a bad idea to hit a refresh on this topic. And of course, if you're new here, if you didn't know that we can speak to this issue, stick around. I'm going to break this down from a number of vantage points. Before I jump into the main event, though, a couple of housekeeping matters. Uh, Don't forget to send your questions, comments, topic ideas our way. You can do so by calling the Slick Talk voicemail. That number is 614-407-6169. Or you can also email blackstonelabs at gmail.com. One of the earliest customer questions I remember fielding was about BMWs and bearings. And it's a common concern that has continued in my years at the Stone. What BMWs am I talking about specifically? Owners of M3s and M5s tend to have the greatest concern when it comes to how their bearings are doing, at least if we're talking about BMWs. Whether you have an S65 or an S85 engine, you can use oil analysis to determine how the bearings, or the rest of the engine for that matter, are getting along. So let's talk metals here, because that's how you're going to see how the bearings are wearing. If you have an engine that was made prior to the 2011 model year, then lead is going to be your primary bearing metal. And then we can also find copper and tin as a problem goes from bad to worse. Now, 2011 is an important year because that is when the metallurgy was changing. So a 2011 BMW could have leaded or could have aluminum bearings. Not to worry, because if you have a 2011 car and we can see in analysis that there is no measurable lead, that is indicative of your engine having aluminum bearings. There's one important caveat I want to throw in here, though. If you are the owner of a 2011 car, and what you have is a situation where octane booster or leaded fuel has been in use, be sure to let us know as that can impact the lead level even though you may have aluminum bearings. So let us know if you're using anything that may throw off lead, but if you're only using unleaded products and it's a 2011 car and there's no lead, then you can feel good about the metallurgy being aluminum. So back to engines with leaded bearings. Oftentimes what happens is someone will send in a sample, will identify a level that may be a bit high compared to average, maybe not even to the point we want to you know, mark it in bold or throw around terms like high or excessive. And, and some people will, from there, opt to swap the bearings right away. Now, proceeding with a preventative measure, if that's what you want to do, if it's you know financially feasible, no reason to advise against it. However, I would urge you as an owner of one of these cars to rely on the comment and not so much the level at face value when making this sort of decision. I would also stress that whatever you're seeing on a forum or any sort of online page where there's a lot of armchair analysts out there, stray from relying on that evaluation, this nebulous, oh, well, that is obviously a problem. Look at what showed up in my car. My car produced far less lead. 
rely on the comment that we attach with your sample in order to get a feel for how cautionary or not a particular result is. I know a lot of people can get wrapped up in what they've seen in their friends' cars, or maybe they aren't taking into consideration, you know, leaded fuel or octane booster that they were using or that someone else was using. I've had people say, well, this level, sure, it looks high next to your averages, but my friend had, you know, triple this amount of lead and, and they're fine. And well, for all we know, that friend was using octane booster. They were using, you know, some sort of difference in fuel type that can impact lead. So all that's to say, if we see a high level or we identify level as slightly high, pay attention to how we address it in the comment, what sort of caution we are prescribing, because that is going to be your guide for what's next, as opposed to taking this level, comparing it to what you've seen elsewhere, where you don't know the surrounding context, maybe someone who's posting results hasn't filled you in on all of these surrounding factors. So if you see a level that is above average, and you want to proceed with repairs or you're convinced that the bearings are gone or whatever, it's up to you what the final decision is, of course, but pay attention to how we address it in the comment because we're going to spell out what concern is truly warranted. So rely on the comment and then we can make our next move with respect to whether you obviously have a problem. If it looks like a failure is imminent, so on and so forth, we'll spell it out for you. And that way you don't have to rely on making a comparison to someone else's car, someone else's situation. And while I'm on the topic of making a bearing replacement, let us know if you've made a bearing replacement when you're getting ready to send in your first sample, simply because it can change expectations. Commonly, people with cars that had the earlier iteration of the bearing material, that being lead instead of aluminum bearings, if they make a swap, generally the swap is to aluminum bearings. So let us know if you have one of those pre-2011 M3s, for example, and you've made a bearing swap because that can impact our expectations for the metallurgy going forward. Of course, we can have a good idea if a swap has taken place simply because of a lack of lead, for example, where we would expect to be seeing a fair amount of lead. Still though, there are outliers. There are exceptions to the rule where lead can be unusually low for a pre-2011 M3. And that's simply because the bearings are wearing very, very well. Still, let us know about recent repairs, bearing replacements. It simply can impact what we expect from the metals and therefore can impact our final evaluation um, on what to do next. So how to go about sampling your M3, M5? I get a lot of questions when it comes to where should I begin? And I think mainly this relates to mileage, what sort of interval people should start out with. And to shed a little bit of light on what we typically see, our averages for the S6508 to 2011 those are based on about 5,200 miles of oil use, very similar for the 2011 to 2013, 5,100 miles. S85s are looking at about 4,600 miles of oil use. All that's to say, those are the intervals the averages are based on. And if you're getting started with oil analysis, that's not a bad place to be in terms of 
a mileage option. But at the same time, I don't want you to do anything drastically different from the norm for you. If you are routinely going 1,000 miles with a couple of track days mixed in, and that's been the steady diet for a while, stick with it for the first sample, and then we'll go from there whether or not you need to shorten, or if you want to go longer, we'll make that evaluation too. But you can lean on the interval our averages are based on if you are, say, a new owner, you're not doing anything crazy, you just want to get a baseline, and then maybe you'll get crazy um, with, with, with use of the car. Um, you can look to our average interval for a sort of baseline if you're totally new to the game, um, but I don't want you to do anything crazy with respect to the norm for you. So keep it to what you are usually running if, say, a shorter interval is typical, and maybe that's because of hard use being a factor and you don't want to stretch it, by all means, stick with that at least for the first sample. And then if you're interested in doing anything different, then we'll take it from there. But I want to provide the averages just so you have an idea, especially if you're a new owner or you're looking for a place to begin. Those are intervals that we typically see and I wouldn't have a reason to think it would be unreasonable uh, for any of these engines, you know, that are not suffering from a obvious mechanical issue, obvious being, say, something in the form of you're hearing knocking sounds, you're noticing drops in oil pressure. Now, if you have good reason to be suspicious of a bearing problem, here's something I also want to offer some advice for, and that would be not using leaded products if you really need to know exactly how much lead is coming from the bearings because it's impossible to separate what is from the bearings and what is from the leaded fuel or octane booster, for example. Obviously, not every octane booster is going to have lead in it, so pay attention to what you're adding. If you really need to know the lead content from the bearings, using unleaded products is the move. Now, of course, if we see an engine that is running lead fuel and we're seeing the excess copper, the excess tin on top of that, then you, of course, can still see what is very likely or an obvious problem. But when you're just starting out, say copper and tin look fine, you have lead sky high due to the products you're using, well, that can prevent you from catching a problem in the early stages before things are really rapidly deteriorating. So with respect to determining exactly what lead is from the engine, advise using unleaded products. And if you are using lead fuel, we're going to look to the surrounding bearing metals to see how things are going. And if there's reason to suspect a problem, that is also contributing to the lead level in addition to whatever unleaded products you're running. Now onto the topic of harder use, uh, such as racing, because I want to make sure I acknowledge that and how we view a lineup of wear metals compared to an engine that is not seeing you know, anything remotely demanding in terms of how the engine is used. We're not expecting or assuming that an engine is going to look exactly like averages Really, in any instance, especially though with harder use being a factor, our averages give you a baseline for comparison. And I never want any listener or customer to think that we view the averages as a gold standard or something that 
If you aren't getting average results, that's a problem because our averages are gospel. You know, like that's not how we are ever viewing them. They give you a baseline and they do show what's typical. But importantly, typical wear doesn't necessarily apply to everyone. And we understand that we need to view how an engine is responding to the use it sees in addition to how it looks compared to average. That's the importance as well of the unit location column, which is next to the column of whatever your current, your latest sample is. So you'll have your latest results on the far left of our report page. And then next to it, you have the unit location column where you're able to see, okay, what's average for me. And as you put more samples in the file, you'll have your own average column for reference. We're going to use that. We're also going to see how your metals are tracking with respect to, you know, just one oil change to another, not just how they compare to one column or the other, but how those metals are trending. Are they staying in a consistent balance? Are they staying at reasonable levels, hopefully stabilizing on a per mile basis? We're going to look at each and every baseline we have, our averages, your own, your samples that are taken from similar intervals, we're taking all of this into consideration when evaluating how the bearings and the rest of the engine is getting along. So to recap, a poor bearing wear in pre-2011 engines, whether it's an S65, S85, that tends to start with high lead, and then copper and tin will follow as a problem worsens typically that's the flow it's high lead and then you can get excess copper and then excess tin as these issues are progressing newer iterations for example the s65 will have aluminum bearings now there is a misconception out there that aluminum bearings won't necessarily show up in analysis that's not true we can find a bearing problem whether you have leaded or aluminum bearings we'll take into consideration uh, how that aluminum level compares to average, just like we would a lead level. I think part of the misconception comes from the fact that aluminum is also a piston metal, but we understand how to view these metals in relation to each other and whether aluminum looks like poor bearing wear or whether it looks like it is pointing to a cylinder problem instead based on how all these metals are behaving in relation to one another. We'll let you know if the balance is indicative of a problem with bearings or the cylinders. If you're interested in hearing more about BMWs and engine oil analysis, I would encourage you to check out our YouTube series, Oil Analysis Start to Finish, featuring Sonny. On part four specifically, we break down a report from his M3 and his previous data as well, so you can get a breakdown of how we do what we do and how that relates specifically to an M3 owner. And you'll also be able to check out Sonny's channel on YouTube. So check out that series. If you haven't already, you'll gain even more insight uh, than what you've heard from today's show. Now on to our catch pan segment. This question comes from Jay. Hi, this is Jay from Grass Valley, California. My question today is about piston rings and extended oil changes. And I was curious if Blackstone has any data on how extended oil changes play out in the long term with piston rings and engine life. 
specifically if a long an oil that's in service longer can have more additives and insolubles drop out and get jammed in the rings, even if the analysis looks a-okay. I'd love to hear your thoughts and any data on this. And thanks for making the podcast a thing. So there's lots to unpack here, but I'm glad to note that oil analysis does indeed hold the keys uh, to these questions. So it's the oil filter's job to keep insolubles, which are solids that form as the oil is experiencing heat, use, and blow-by. It's the oil filter's job to keep insolubles low. So whether you're running the oil longer or whether you're just repeating the same interval over and over, we'll look to the insolubles level in each and every sample to see if the oil filter was struggling or used up. So before suggesting a longer run, it's part of the analyst's job to look at insolubles and see if the oil filter is and see if the oil filter is keeping those solids low. If it is, that's going to be one reason why a longer run is doable. So you can rely on oil analysis to see if those insolubles are out of control or not. If they're low, that's one reason why a longer run could be doable. Now for another aspect of this question, I'm going to talk about detergent dispersant additive in the oil, such as calcium, magnesium, boron, these additives are responsible for holding particles in suspension so they can be filtered. You can see how much active additive is remaining by measuring the TBN, which is the total base number. So if you have a strong TBN, then you can be sure that the additives are active and detergent dispersant additives are what's responsible for holding those particles in suspension so they can be filtered. Then, if the oil filter is keeping those insolubles low, those are two factors that allow for a longer oil run to be doable. So, it's not so much that a longer run will, in of itself, affect piston rings specifically. But, if the oil run is too long, then there is the possibility of the oil filter not being able to keep up, and then those solids are going to be circulating in the used oil, and they can turn the oil abrasive and cause wear at the piston rings, but as well as every other area of the engine. So you can rely on analysis to see if oil filtration is effective, if there is enough active additive remaining to make a longer run doable, and then you can also see if piston rings or if the rest of the engine, how it's wearing. All of this is wrapped up into our evaluation and subsequent interval recommendation for whatever car it is you're sampling. So you can use that analysis to get a good overview and we're never going to suggest a longer run if it looks like the active additive is gone, if it looks like the oil filter is struggling and that solid material could be overwhelming the oil and keeping it from being able to clean and lubricate effectively. That brings today's show to a close. If you like what you heard today, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Music and Spotify. As I record, there is a blizzard supposedly on the way. I'm recording this on Wednesday, January 25th. We'll see how much snow we actually get. Never tends to be as much as I hope for, but regardless... I'm going to hang up the headphones, probably go buy a cigar, sit on the porch, sip some Willet, and watch the flakes. This is Blackstone Joe, signing off.